Hey, this is Diana, the Bard of Hudson. What the heck does that mean? A bard is just a storyteller. So here I am to share stories with you. What was it like growing up in the 60s and 70s? Did I really meet Bob Marley on an airplane? I hope you enjoy listening to my crazy life and that it inspires you to share your stories in some way. One great way to share your thoughts with me is through my Patreon page at patreon.com slash Diana the Bard. There you can see the photos and written materials that enrich my stories with visuals. Please check it out. And wherever you're listening, please rate and review and share the podcast. I'd love to hear what you think. At the end of the day, human connection is all we have. Enjoy. Hello, hello, welcome back, welcome back, and we are going to finish up that trip to China today, hopefully, it might be a bit of a long episode, just warning you, okay, anyway, I might as well have my brain over in China because it's a cold and gray day, another Tuesday in January here today, so off to China in the warm July of 83. When we last saw our heroes, we had landed in Wuxi. This was where we were going to learn a lot more about silk weaving. We went into the factory and saw the machines and, um, you know, they were machines from the 1970s. So that was high technology to them, but it didn't matter because they made this incredible fabric that was luscious and glorious and it was all in the process of how they raised the silkworms from the first minute all the way through to the using of the thread and they were very intent on telling us that they used every bit of the process. They showed us the little worms growing in their cocoons in the darkness on trays and trays and trays and racks and racks and then they showed us how they pulled the thread off and then wove it into the machine. It was incredibly intricate and beautiful. And I bought two chunks of silk there that I think I used later to make some glorious skirts and such. Um, I remember that day in Wuxi, we went to lunch and there were a number of dishes that we had gotten used to seeing on our buffet spreads, you know, and one of them was the spinach dish that we all liked very much. And so we were like, great, pass the spinach dish. Great. But that day I looked down into the spinach and there were all these little white things in there. And I was like, what? is happening here this doesn't look the same and suddenly I realized and my brother was sitting right next to me and he was lifting a forkful of it to his mouth and I took my index finger and made it work like a little worm across the table to him and he looked at the spinach and he was like oh my god <laughs> and we realized that when they meant they use the whole thing that they were like well when the worms are finished with their spinning then they go into the spinach Yum. <laughs> so we didn't eat the spinach in Wuxi. But in any case, uh, then we went off to Changzhou. And I remember at that point writing that, whoa, the towns were just going by a little too quickly. And it was a little bit much of a whirlwind. We were getting to that stage of overwhelm where we were like, what are they making here now? And whose pagoda is this? And which emperor again? And I, I remember we went to this comb factory in Changzhou and that was cool. Also, it was another type of beautiful art that 
that they made. And for some reason, I got fixated on the idea that I wanted a penguin comb. I wanted a penguin comb because our favorite comic strip back in Boston was Bloom County. I don't know if you remember that, but the main character in that comic strip was a penguin named Opus. And we loved him. And Dave and I had a little stuffed Opus that slept in the bed with us. And I was trying to communicate that image and doing this ridiculous penguin waddle thing all around the store. And the manager of the store was like, oh, yes. I know what you're talking about and found me a penguin comb and I was very excited. <laughs> In any case, uh, then we took this seven hour long boat ride to Xinjiang and we met our new guide, Mr. Zhang. And we couldn't sail into the city because the dam was broken and there were boats that were backed up for miles. So Mr. Zhang had come to get us in a another, yet another minibus. And that was crazy, wild. So our boat just left us off at the shore and that was that. Our first stop was Zhao Island, which was a small fort where 500 men had defended themselves against 10,000. It was like China's version of the 300 movie. And we climbed to the top of the pagoda on Zhao Island and we got a real sense of how huge the Yangtze River was because we were on the canal that was connecting to it, but we could see the Yangtze River in both directions. And in some places it's five miles and more across. And by comparison, the Hudson River at its widest point, which is Haverstraw Bay, is three miles. So it was quite a bit more than that, almost double. Due to this backup of boats, our guides had to improvise a little. So that night, instead of whatever we were supposed to do, we ended up going to a current Chinese movie. And that was such fun. It was called The Immortal Crane That Flew Back. And I don't know, I'll have to look it up again. But I do remember the theater being incredibly crowded and sweaty. And Mr. Zhang was sitting at the end of the row and translating for us. So it was coming down the line from one of us to the rest, you know, what's happening in the story. And I remember there was a short newsreel at the beginning of the movie that was talking about no smoking in the theater and no spitting. I haven't mentioned yet that everywhere we went, that spitting was a big thing and all around and in the streets. I don't know why it was maybe considered something healthy that you had to get this catar out of your mouth. But when there were indoor places, there were spittoons available everywhere so that people wouldn't spit on the floor. And Dean, my aunt was furious about them. She was like, disgusting, it's so disgusting. And I think we ended up getting her a spittoon as a gift for Christmas. We brought it home, that was horrible. Uh, so there we were in the movie theater with all the crowd, you know, sweating and talking and smoking and spitting. But it was a great experience because you got to see what do the Chinese like to do and just like we do like to go to the movies great in these smaller inland towns we again were followed by large crowds of people because again they were like whoa aliens who are these people so that afternoon the next afternoon we were walking around the town and my grandmother had this singularly crazy experience because she was of a certain generation of women who never left their homes without girdles on. So at one point we were walking around and she desperately had to go to the bathroom 
And we were looking and looking, you know, and there was no such thing as a public toilet. I mean, there was, but it wasn't an actual toilet. What we ended up finding was this stall. And keep in mind, we were being followed by a group of people. And they wanted to know where we were going. And we were trying to communicate bathroom. And so they were like, oh, sure, sure. And they brought us down the street to this basically open stall where there were two little stalls next to each other and some kind of a bucket system where you just sat down and that was it and my grandmother I remember her just losing it and going fine fine I don't care I'm just I have to everybody just and so we were trying to stand around and shield her a little bit but the Chinese women were fascinated and they wanted to see what is this western woman wearing and they were marveling at the girdle and my grandmother was mortified but she was like peeing and I don't care and whatever <laughs> so that was very funny. After that experience, we were leaving the little downtown area and walking back towards our hotel with our guide, Judy, and the crowd was still following us. So Judy was like, why don't you sing a song for them? And we were like, okay. So we turned around and we started singing one of the Chinese songs that she had taught us. And they were like, oh, nice. And they were very sweet and polite and listening. And they were like, oh, politely clapped when we were finished. And then she goes, okay, now sing Jingle Bells. And we're like, what? Okay. And we started singing Jingle Bells and that crowd just erupted in delight. They were like, oh my God, it's wonderful. They just loved that song. It was really wild. So that was our big hit of the afternoon. <laughs> And I remember our guide, Judy, her Mandarin was so flawless that sometimes we would pull up in front of a little town and she'd lean out of the window and started speaking to people and they were completely shocked. Wait, what? Who are you? Why are you speaking our language? What's going on? And then she'd say, well, I'm Chinese. And they're like, no, you're not. You don't look like us. It was a real case of impossible because you don't look like us. But then they were convinced because she was like so flawless in her language and so they were like okay i believe you i have never seen a chinese person that looks like you but there must be some somewhere this country is very big uh, then we got on to a smaller bus and so that we could fit onto a ferry which would take us across the yangtze river and a bit upstream to yangzhou we met our guides there who are both named mr huang so they told us we could call them Xiao Huang, Young Huang, and Lao Huang, Old Huang. And they were newly training with the company, but they were so knowledgeable and so eager that we really liked them. And, and I think we were supposed to rate people too. So we were trying to, you know, tell Lindblad, these people are great guides and this person not so much and whatever. But we went to Slender West Lake and we saw a gorgeous garden with a very special pagoda that had a room called the moon viewing room with big round windows in the roof for viewing the moon during the moon festivals. That was gorgeous. In Yangzhou, we visited the lacquer factory and we saw these artists at work marveling at this one master who was 72 and had no intention of retiring because he loved his work so much. And this was back in those days when retiring was still a thing that we commonly did in the United States around age 65. 
maybe this is a notion that's fading into the past because, I don't know, people don't retire anymore, do they? They just keep working until they die. Anyway, this guy was very eager to keep working because he loved what he did and he was so good at it. Each of these factories had a little childcare area that they called the kindergarten that was attached to them. And so we went and visited with the kindergarten that afternoon and we spent a while with the kids and we exchanged songs with them and jingle bells and all that. And we had a large number of Chinese songs that we knew by that point because my family just loves to sing. We do it every chance we get at holidays and around the piano and such. So with the kindergartners, we were able to exchange song for song. They sang one and we sang one and then they sang one. And that was so cute and fun. When we left Yangzhou, we drove across the Nanjing River Bridge, which was apparently only the third bridge to be built across the Yangtze at that point. I'm sure there's lots of others. And then in Nanjing, we were in the first modern hotel that had been built, especially for new tourists. And it was weird. It was like after all of the quaint little vintage places that we had stayed in, this was more like we were back in Hong Kong than on mainland China. And I'm sure that's what mainland China is like now all over. I haven't been back since this trip. So China is frozen in my memory in this quaint and wonderful old vintage way. After all these bus and boat rides, we thought it would be good to stretch with a vigorous Jane Fonda workout and only found out then that the tape that we had brought was broken. And I was really bummed, but I led the workout myself, having memorized it at that point. And then that night, we saw a full-on production by the Peking Opera. And that was the first time, I think, that any of us had seen that. And we were fascinated by the makeup and thought it felt it so bizarre. But I loved, there was this crazy kung fu sword fight at the end, and I loved that so much and found myself missing my karate classes. And then our second to last destination before Beijing was Xi'an, which was way farther inland than any of the other towns. And we boarded a train that we were told was going to be a 24-hour ride to get there. So we were going to sleep on it overnight. But I looked it up and to go from Nanjing to Xi'an today, trains leave every two hours and it's about a four and a half hour ride. So this train must have been very rickety, very old fashioned. So we slept on the train in our little bunks and... The next morning, we awoke to an entirely different landscape. There were plains of fields dotted with cypress trees. And then suddenly, a group of pale orange mountains would just spring up out of the middle. And people had dug caves in the sides of the mountains for dwellings. Some had small windows, even. And they must have had stoves because smoke emerged from the tops of the mountains. There were small goat paths that wound down those little mountainsides. And here and there was a man and his goat who were making their way down or a man and a team of water buffalo at the base of the mountain plowing a field while nearby at the crossing station a man in an official uniform stood in the small shelter and watched the cars of the train click by it was like a landscape frozen back way back in time in Xi'an as you'll know if you look it up now there are some incredible 
incredible Neolithic sites. So we went to the Bampo village excavation site, which was underneath the dome, so they could still be working on it. It was the first major archaeological project in China. So it was so cool to see, after seeing modern China, to be able to see how the civilization started there. And then we went on to that amazing excavation of the terracotta warriors this had only just been discovered in 1974 so the site was still fairly new as these things go and it was incredible to see in process we found out that no two faces of these 8,000 warriors were alike and they were carved to protect the first emperor of china qin shi around 210 bce so his tomb was nearby and they hadn't even begun to excavate his tomb yet because that was planned for 1985. Talk about Chinese patience, you know, they were going to be doing that later, but they had found these warriors first and they were going to carefully liberate all of those statues first and take a look at them. They had uncovered other nearby pits that had statues of people with other jobs like acrobats and musicians so that the emperor would be well provided for in his afterlife. It was a fascinating area. And throughout all of these places that we visited, I was hyper-focused on trying to take these amazing National Geographic-type pictures, and I was getting really depressed about missed opportunities and the idea that, you know, oh, I'm taking these pictures, but so are, you know, 12 other people who are standing here right next to me. And I remember bitterly complaining to my cousin Phil at one point that my career was a failure, oh my God, at the tender age of 22. Sheesh. What did we know then? We're all silly kids. Anyway, one place that I did spectacularly fail, however, was in the recording of the rest of my journey. After we leave Xi'an, there are a pile of blank pages and then a farewell entry about how excited I was to be getting back to the arms of my beloved Dave. And nothing written about our days in Beijing. So that is horrifying and, as a journalist, upsetting to me. But I do remember a few things from our last few days in Beijing. Chief among them, of course, was the Great Wall. Keep in mind that my grandmother was 72 at the time of this trip, but by gum, she was going to climb the Great Wall of China. So we went and climbed a section of the wall that was just outside of Beijing, which is now apparently the most visited piece of the wall, of course, because they were setting it up to be that when they were planning these tours. But thanks to my dear grandmother, we were able to take it at a leisurely pace because I, you know, I'm not a climber. I'm definitely not a mountain climber. So all of those pieces of the trip were difficult for me, but we climbed the wall to this one place where we could look out over the landscape and the whole climb we were hearing stories of battles and warriors all along the way and there was this very funny thing that we had planned on doing because back in Palisades near Palisades there was a health spa where a lot of us went to work out like when I was getting ready for Suriname I went to this place and it was called the Diplomat Health Spa and it was run by a sweet man named Bruce and he had begged us all when you get to the top of the Great Wall of China will you take a picture with my t-shirts and he gave us all free t-shirts and said please take a Diplomat Health Spa picture at the top of the Great Wall of China 
which we did. So there we are, a bunch of goofballs, all in matching Diplomat Health Spa t-shirts, looking like a bunch of rubes. But anyway, <laughs> that was our one big shot at the top of the Great Wall. I do remember walking around the Forbidden City, and I what I remember from there was that it was so bloody hot. It was the middle of July now, and there were so many stairs, and I think at that point we were just all exhausted with the names of so many emperors and temples swirling in our brains. We just weren't able to take it all in. I do remember a tiny kiosk where I got a bottle of Coke with the name Coca-Cola written in Chinese characters, and I still have that bottle, actually. <laughs> was shades of things to come, you know, the Western things overtaking this new landscape. I can imagine now the throngs of souvenir stands that must be there now, where at the time we were pretty much one of the only few groups of tourists, and the place was eerily empty and very quiet. So when I go traveling very soon in the near future, I am going to try and see things slower and stay longer in any one particular place so as to really absorb the stories and the landscapes and, you know, make the most of things in a different way. We flew out of Beijing through Hong Kong and Bombay and Rome and finally into Genoa where we could regroup and recharge our batteries in Italy because that was a familiar place to us. It was a long and grueling trip to Italy but I was energized by the anticipation of a glorious reunion with Dave. He had never been to Europe, and I was wishing that I could have been with him from the very first step into that big airplane at JFK so that I could see his excitement. But I knew we had a month of adventures ahead and many places to go that we were going to discover together. So I was really looking forward to that. And that is my next tale for tomorrow. I'll see you then. Want to make some juicy passive income but don't know where to start? You need to check out Girls Trade 2. Girls Trade 2 is an online community of women learning to trade in the stock market so they can boost their savings and get off that dang hamster wheel of work, work, work. So if you want some help figuring out the stock market, check out a free web class at girlstrade2.com. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to connect, you can find me on Instagram at Diana the Bard or on Facebook at Diana Green. And check out my Patreon page at patreon.com slash Diana the Bard for photos and other fun additions. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please subscribe, share, rate, and review wherever you're listening. It makes a world of difference and helps others to find the show. I'd really appreciate it. Thanks so much. Bye.